0: It's Michael Coughlin here. I'm in Melbourne, in North Melbourne, in fact, in the apartment of Dusty Stevens, who's with me on my left. He can't talk to you at the moment. Maybe, Dusty, can you wave? There's Dusty. Right, Dusty is the son of Vance Stevens and Bobby Stevens. Vance is here in the room with me in Melbourne, across the other side of the room. Vance, you want to tell us, say hi?
1: Yeah, in fact... Uh, Dusty and uh Michael are right over there. Uh here you go and they're waving as as they often do and uh so well I'm here in Melbourne, Australia, of all places. And Dusty, is my son, he's doing an MA in linguistics here at uh, University of Melbourne. And um we decided as long as I was in the neighborhood, I mean it's so hard to get connected these days, you know. Here here I am price of long distance calls is so reduced now that we're all together so i decided to, well michael and i michael decided to pop in on, on us here in melbourne and that was a good excuse to uh, get us all together and uh, have a little australian shindig as it were so i'm so glad to see everybody and i often i must say i've listened to a lot of vte uh, podcasts, and most of them. In fact, I'm pretty familiar with what a lot of you are doing online, just because I get bored easily and I play these silly podcasts. So it's nice to uh, touch base with you in uh, in an actual chat. And uh, here we are together. That's great.
0: So it's quite an auspicious today, day today because Vance and I have met several times over the years, but we've never been in Australia at the same time. So it's it's lovely. In the room with us here is also Bobby Stevens, the other kind of member of the, the Stevens family. But she's moving, not drowning, and not speaking. So hi, Bobby. In Alison, we have Alison Miller. Alison, how are you?
2: Good. thing Oops. Good. Thank you, Michael and Co. We're, this is Marie Miller. Hi. And um, we're in Adelaide, Very and it's a b- been absolutely beautiful weather in Adelaide. So that's why we exported Michael out, obviously, because that's what's helped bring the beautiful weather in. Um, and really interested in to hear what people have been doing, especially you, Melanie. I haven't spoken to you forever. No, it's been ages.
0: Well, let's go to Melanie next. She's on the far north coast. Is it correct to describe your location as that, Melanie? That's
3: that's exactly right. Far north coast, northern rivers, lots of beautiful waterways here Vance, it's a very pretty country but because it's so green it means it rains a lot, keep it that way so it's very squelchy again um, we seem to be favoured by the rain gods a lot this year and no change coming so but we're, yeah things are good, we've um, just been down to the National Folk Festival totally non-E but um, that was great and uh, doing lots of interesting other stuff as well so good to see you, it's good to see everyone again and uh, especially Alison, as you said, we haven't talked
0: for ages. Great, Melanie, that you came by. And closer to Melbourne, in rural Melbourne, in Gippsland, is Brad Beach sitting there, I think, on the couch in his lounge room. How are you, Brad?
4: I'm well, thank you, Michael. Um, yes, I'm, I'm in Curranborough, which is, oh, you know, about two-hour drive from Melbourne. Um, you know, little town, Canberra, 5,000 people um, and uh, things have been good here, I've just come back from Tonga doing some e-learning work over there and um, you know, it's good to catch up with everyone here with what others are doing.
0: Okay, maybe we can get back to you later about what happened to you in Tonga, but uh, in Canberra we have Alex Hayes, good evening Alex. Good evening, how are you? I'm here in Canberra, it's um,
5: yes, it's a rather still night, and it's good to be back in Australia from Finland, where it was minus 20 regularly, and
0: uh I'm glad to catch up with everybody. And later in the year, not too much later, we're going to have a special VTE dedicated entirely to Alex's adventures in Finland. I'm sure we can talk about them tonight, Alex, but you'll have kind of full go. <laughs> that's everything in the next episode. And I think it's finally in <laughs> Stefan, the guy in control of the Hangout and other technologies, Stefan Ridgeway. Hi, Stef.
6: Hi, and welcome everyone. Fabulous to have you all on board. And of course, uh, that's an interesting confluence of uh, the web heads and uh, Talking BTE, And yeah. of course, Michael that's and right. Lance being long-standing members of that uh, online community. Probably one of the oldest uh, online communities that I know of, certainly. so I'm uh, here in Sydney for those who don't know me and it's a rather lovely evening in Sydney, about 17 degrees and uh, yeah, looking forward to the conversation. Cool.
0: So how shall we proceed from here, Steph? Do we want to go to that wiki and kind of follow the agenda items or just free will? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we should.
6: I think we should just at least deal with what's on the uh, gender items. I think that'd be good. Then can you can bring that up? Uh, I can bring it up on the broadcast, but I can. Yeah, on the screen
0: share in Hangout.
6: Mm, okay. Yeah, <laughs> the I first I
0: remember
1: is maybe a silly question, but I was just wondering if there was any difference between V E T and V T E. Can you explain oh, yeah. this to? You?
6: Very political. Uh, well, perhaps I can uh, clarify that. Uh, the um, VTE stands for Vocational Training and Education and for a brief period of time in Australia some bureaucrats decided in their infinite wisdom to change the name from uh, VET, Vocational Education and Training. Uh, the reason uh, behind this seemed to be lost on the entire VET community. <laughs> um, and to anyone else in the world, and like most desire paths, everyone continued to use vet. So uh, the bureaucrats relented and went back to vet. Uh, but at the time they changed the name, talking VTE was created. So, uh, hence the well, we name. thought it fitting VTE. to remain backwards. And I just didn't change it when it changed back.
4: One,
1: I, just one. a silly question.
4: Oh, look, another one which comes up, especially if you start doing stuff around the Pacific, it's T VET. So TV, oh, yes. which I can't even remember what the other T stands for, but yeah, very confusing.
0: Well, I had a conversation with someone yesterday and I was talking about what's going on in VET, and they suggested we drop the E and just call it. Vocational training because there's very little education involved, so that's <laughs>
5: <laughs> yes, it's going that way. So, wow.
0: hey, look, I, um, I don't know whether it was on the agenda, but anyone got any objections to us hearing from Brad for the first few minutes about his experience in Tonga and what he was doing there? Of course not, okay, Brad. Away. So you yep. were to bring uh, e-learning to the entire Pacific. Is that correct? I'm being facetious. But what were you doing in Tonga
4: and what was the plan? Well, actually, I think that was, I think that was part of the objective, <laughs> which I thought was, a bit, was very ambitious. Um, we were doing some uh, work with the Commonwealth of Learning, and I'm not sure if people are familiar with the Commonwealth of Learning, but they're an agency based in Canada that is funded by the Commonwealth countries. And essentially, their role is to um, assist developing Members of the Commonwealth to um, meet their national objective. And a lot of that involves um, vocational, educational, vet training, or TVET, whatever we're going to call it, um, mm-hmm. particularly at the trade level. So, this was a meeting with the Commonwealth countries in the Pacific, so eight of them minus Fiji, given that Fiji is suspended from the Commonwealth at the moment, but um, having a discussion with eight of those countries and their. Um, some of their senior people in um, in their VET area who had to pose the question around what are your national priorities and how can flexible learning work to assist you to achieve those um, priorities. So it was quite a macro conversation, and we did get to a point where each country was able to describe very broadly what a model might look like for their um online or flexible learning um element. Um certainly not mm-hmm. as well as online stuff that, that most of the people in this space would be used to, but yeah, their first steps in that space. So it was great to to uh hang out with um these eight countries and talk to um some people in the Pacific about how they might be able to um introduce flexible learning across there and that looks like we'll be doing a bit more with those countries into the future which will be great, I'm looking forward to it.
0: But I gather from the, the light-hearted comments we were making earlier that they really are way back behind the rest of the world in terms of infrastructure, knowledge about the internet, how to use it as a teaching tool, is that all fair um, to say that? Uh,
4: look, I think as a general statement it's fair to say that. Um, what confuses it is you've got um, the uh, Australian Technical Colleges, scattered in places like Fiji, PNG, and I can't remember the, where the other one is, and they do have access. And then you've got the University of South Pacific, which um, they have. I mean, they've received like millions and millions of aid money, but they have established. I think it's eight. Um, centers scattered across the Pacific that have um, satellite um, capability and technology so it's a, a bit strange on, on one hand you've got some aspects that are top end and people live in the location where you can access this center or one of these centers um, but right next to that you've got people on an island isolated who don't even get mail on a regular basis and you need to there's only one boat once a week to get to that island, so it's one extreme to the other.
0: Well, that's not uncommon. I'm mean, thinking of the Australian outback. I mean, some of the fastest upload speeds, certainly, in Australia are out there in the desert. And some of the the worst connections and or no connections at all are also out in the, the outback. So... Yeah, it's not evenly distributed. What would you say is like? What's the next thing you're going to do with them? What do they need to do to go the next step?
4: Um, to go the next step is is really about identifying I mean, they, they started to identify what their priorities were within vet, um, and then and, and look at in some of those cases. Um, you know, I mean, Kiribati is a good example where. You know, that one of the things that they're looking at vets, that they're really concerned about their country going underwater. And yeah about the need to have vets. So I mean, if their people need to actually be moved from one country to another, they need skills to get a job there. So it's it's what sort of skills do they need? Numism and literacy is big. So step one is picking which courses are they going to do, and step two is getting the model more refined. And it seems to me it will be about print-based drop-in support centres, IT tagged to some sort of um, industry, a bit of um, two-way radio, so a bit like Air of the School, um, the School of the Air in Australia, and where mm-hmm. possible using, you know, email and perhaps text chat and those sort of things. it's sort of want a model I can a number of those things.
0: Anyone got any comments or questions for Brad, given that there's a, kind of a fair few of us here, and I guess we would all like the opportunity to talk about what we've been thinking lately, but anything you want to add, ask Brad?
5: Yeah, what's the, what's the plane flight like?
4: Uh, yeah, pretty good. Um, the, <laughs> pretty good. It was Air New Zealand fly there quite regularly. <laughs> Um, but don't try and fly there on a Sunday because um, there are no flights. I was amazed how this this is going to happen on a Sunday. <laughs> but, um, it was good. So it
5: might seem a rather benign question, but having spent 48 hours in the air, you soon learn to uh, talk airports and planes, as Michael and Vance soon know figure out which what ways are good to
0: go when you're going <laughs> <laughs> Okay, thanks Brad I'm going to suggest okay. we I'm, I'm just looking at the, the first ad, agenda item apart from what the difference was between VTE and VET which um, Bant's already asked So, Alex, I figure the next bit is yours What's the latest in valence and wearable technologies and it seems like you have just, no, you're about to do a presentation, no, you've given a presentation on this topic and I'll just add for uh, the record, you've probably seen, Alex, that wearable computing finally made it into both the International Horizon Report and the Australian one uh, released on Tuesday. So what's happening in the world at valence? And what the hell is valence anyway, Alex?
5: (laughs) Well, um, firstly, I've got to apologise for not appearing at all in the last talking VTE session, which was planned. So, my profound apologies to Stefan and Michael. But I actually returned and was quite ill by the time I got back from Finland. And I figured it was from drinking too much vodka um, with Tainu uh, and listening to Motorhead, or it might have been the fact that I was in a, a Solna with 25 other males and they did push me <laughs> naked out into the snow for a swim. <laughs> so, Uh, Is going ballistic there with sound, but um, yeah. So look, um, it's been a really crazy three months, and it's going to be an even crazier three months in the lead up to the conference in Toronto. But I've just been informed that a paper of ours has also been accepted into
0: uh,
5: a privacy and wearables conference in Washington. So we're off there as well.
0: A privacy and wearables conference.
5: Yeah. Is that what it's called? Half, half, half policing. Half uh, Cory Doctorow will be there. Quite a number of other people will be there too. So, just stepping up in the Google Glass land for sure. Um, I've recently been in a lot of dialogue with the MIT group in the States and Canada and um, Toronto as well. And violence really is being touted as to. Um, better describe what we all understand is currently used as surveillance. So, when we think of cameras pointing at us from any direction, we think of surveillance. It's just, it comes across as being who we are, you know, what we think. But the domain of violence includes Swiss violence, data violence, uber violence, a whole range of violences, many of them. So, there's a big sort of contest on as to whether this term, violence, better describes the domain, whether surveillance is simply a discipline within. The, you know, under that domain itself. As far as latest tech, well, the MeCam.me has come out. Mimito is about to be released. 180,000 uh, units will be shipped in the next um, two months across the world. Um, Autographer is about to be released as well, which is like looks like a pendant that hangs down from your neck. It takes a photo every five seconds. It's a pedometer. It's a um, uh, it's basically a life logger, a whole range of data sensors, and that data can be exposed through the web. It can be connected into multi feeds. Twitter has just bought out a company called Vine. Vine will start to take over Twitter with six second burst videos. So you'll start to see a lot of short animated videos. You've probably seen a number of ads around. They kind of look like an animated GIF, but they're really. Live photos of somebody doing something in a particular action, and apart from that, as you know, glasses really really um, starting to hit hard. The presentation I did with this human centred computing group yesterday was quite profound. That uh, the Australian Privacy Foundation founder uh, was there, Tom Worthington from you know CASA and Avi- aviation, and and other contacts through ANU was there, and twenty other people. So. I was I was t- totally in my element, drinking red wine and uh, stumbling over 50 slides in 20 minutes. So it was great. Yeah, that's what's happening at this end. Pretty busy.
4: stuff,
0: Isn't it? Alice is living in science fiction.
6: Yeah, I think, uh, just thinking about
5: it though. You know, I'm thinking from the vocational perspective and I was there yesterday and they said, So what what about this, Alex? What does this mean in the context of our organisations and the general public? And I said, Well, it's going to become normalized for people to be taking a photo every five seconds of everything they look at. And then there's a data feed of all these images being exposed through social media, through the internet. It has to make a substantial difference to humanity. For us to be completely exposed in this way all the time, and particularly within organisations and environments where it's forbidden culturally to take a photo, even holding a camera and asking the permission of somebody within a cultural context. So when I was in Finland, I noticed explicitly that in that environment, the very first rule that I got given in the accommodation unit was: at breakfast, you shall maintain silence at all times. I thought it was a joke. <laughs> I thought it was an absolute joke until I went down for breakfast. And indeed, it's very, very unusual to sit in a room with 170 people and it's dead silent except for the odd clink of cutlery. Then you get on the tram and you look at the signage and it says, you know, Oprah sort of advertisements and viola buses and a seconds there's white screen and it's got written in Finnish silence. And I questioned Tano about this after seven hours of sitting in the uh, Alto Media Lab um, office with 17 other staff, and not one word was said all day. After seven hours, I couldn't bear it. And I went into Tommy's office and I said, What on earth is happening? Why is everything so quiet? He said, Well, that's just how it is, Alex. And when we want to have conversations, we have them in conversation spaces. So I'm just thinking about how these technologies. Technologies will play out across different cultures and what mm-hmm. they're going to mean in an educational context, particularly when we have got access to vast data sets of our learners' data that they are volunteering and making them exposed to the net. So yeah, I'm, I'm really, really in the deep of it at the moment.
0: What do you think about it, Alex? Are you worried about it, excited about it, or a bit of both? <laughs> I'm not excited about it. I don't think.
5: Um, I think personally, in a personal context, as apparently I've, I've written an article, which was tri- published in IEEE the other day, um, called called um, Cyber Cops, Googlers, and Connectivism. So I've drawn parallels between all three domains. And it's also going to appear on the front page of the UW website in a very short period of time. And I think there's a profound impact that we're likely to see and I'm finding it very difficult to articulate I was told yesterday with the presentation that presentations in an academic context are generally five slides in length they're written in Times New Roman font they're in black and white and there are multiple transitions of (coughs) engineering-based diagrammatic uh, transitions that should Talk about the philosophical context, about the methodological approach of the research, about how many research groups you've conducted, about how many durations. It's a quantified self type of setup. So what I did purposefully was I gathered all the pictures. And the link is in the wiki there. If you pick, if you click on it, it's an open presentation. I put, I used all of the images of the key people across the world who are currently engineering. And distributing these technologies, and when you talk to an engineer who says, "Alex, in the context of design, privacy and personal security have got nothing to do with engineering. What we are trying to do is to um, realise a product, to through diffusion of innovation, to realise a commercial output, and to get the maximum profit for our shareholders from this particular um, activity." Uh, if you wish to you know, follow the unpopular route of examining this from a socio-ethical perspective, then well and good, uh, but don't expect a job from it. And that's from mm-hmm. some of the principal, principal engineers of Microsoft, um, some of the lead supply chain people that I've come in contact with and I've conducted many, many interviews now many 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 um, more than I ever needed to for the research but I think and I've got a lot of postdoctorate analysis stuff to do but I think you personally very worried I think in the context of teaching and learning I think we have to um, prepare ourselves for a very very different um, um, community that we'll be working within and and that there are going to become digital others uh, and there'll be a lot of conflict for a period of time and then I think it will be very, very uh, soon before we see a state of normalization. And just one last, very last thing to say. On the 18th, I'll be down there in Melbourne meeting with Cathal Gurren. He's going to sit where, near where you're sitting right now. He's been wearing a camera around his neck for five and a half years, taking a photo every five seconds of everything that he's ever seen. Uh, he stores them in his own life logging environment, shares that with startup companies around the world and he's, that's only just one technology that he wears on himself so what does it mean that these people are doing this stuff and um, you know glass looks like child's play compared to some of the stuff that Gordon Bell's done over 20 years. He's been wearing a sensecam camera pedometer heart rate monitor a skin um, you know the transpiration of your, your skin and heat uh, for the last 20 years. So, um, yeah, if if you want to see some of the people that uh, I've been in contact with, you just go to valence.me or istas13.org. And uh, yes, there's many trials of these devices across vocational training environments. Many trials, many uses of these within an educational research context in every university in Australia. And um, it's an exciting space to be in, but... I, I fear I'm stepping into a, an environment which is uh, quite immense, really.
0: I, I'd, I'd agree with that. Any comments for or questions for Alex? Alison's written in the text chat, would this mean there might be valence literacies, That might be a semi-rhetorical question, but I think the answer to that is probably yes, but any other comments or questions for Alex?
5: the answer to Alison's is that there is a complete faculty um, called Surveillance Studies through Queen's University in Toronto in, uh, in America, and uh, America or Canada, I think it's Canada, and Queen's, and uh, yes, there is um, talk of uh, a violence um, community and discipline being, uh, sorry, domain faculties being established globally.
4: Alex, these people, I mean, you, know, you talk about this guy who's been wearing you know some of this stuff for 20 years. Do, do you have any sense about what drives someone to do that? I I, I I just find that amazing.
5: Okay, I do, I do. But you have to think about it from a, technical, a technological or, as I said yesterday, not a socio-technical perspective but a techno-social level. Mm-hmm. So an avid... An avid technology user who is also a very social beast likes to expose an egocentric or a myopic perspective of their own personality in a way that you know uh, causes people to flock to them in certain ways. But if you picture if you take a photo every five seconds, not 24 frames per second but every five seconds, and then you put those frames together over one day, you basically can watch your whole day in, in what, less than two and a half minutes, maybe, as a short video. Now, <laughs> if, for instance, just as, a, just as a a motivation, and this was a, an analogy that Cathol painted for me. He said, Alex, picture it this way. If we have a ward nurse who, instead of wearing a watch, a fob watch that's pinned to her label of her breast, instead of a, instead of a watch, we have a camera a small camera that takes a photo every five seconds of her on duty doing what she's doing within an environment he or she we have a very good case to lower the insurance on certain aspects of the the the, the practices of the hospital because we can recount exactly perhaps to a better degree what that particular individual was doing at 1142 and 50 seconds We can trace back because the video that was created, the two and a half minute video, is very small in size, but it has a very, very good memory jog for that particular individual in court. And I thought, I hadn't thought of it that way, Cathal, but I can see what where you're coming from. So the motivation behind these guys is entirely commercial. It's entirely uh how can we see into social spaces we don't currently get a grasp on? How do we currently create Media that is new and exciting because it's social aggregated burst technology that can be quickly flung from one device to another. and How can we advertise amongst that and make it um, uh, subliminal for people as they you know, as they digest and consume this data? So that's the motivations behind it. Uh, the usual, just the usual basic ones, mate, right? I nothing, nothing unusual. Yeah. But if you, once you've met with them and you see these small devices, they're no bigger, seriously, they're no bigger than an eraser. They're no bigger than a little tiny eraser that sits clipped to where your V is on your shirt, on your white shirt you've got now.
4: Tiny little device
5: that collects so much data and when you look at the data and you actually examine the data in context of days and weeks and months, my God, do I know an awful lot about Brad Beach after I've watched that data for a little while. Yeah, yeah, especially in con- especially in conjunction with everybody else that's wearing those in your own social circle, I can see your whole social whole social circle going on. I'm not reading it through Facebook; I'm seeing it happen in front of me. So yeah, they'll take any data you watch.
6: It was interesting when that, that meteorite uh, crashed in Russia, and uh, it was a little while afterwards. People go, "Why do so many people in Russia have?" Um, Cameras in their cars. Insurance. Mm.
5: Insurance. Right. A very basic one. The reason they have so many car cams in Russia, both front and back, not just the front of the car, but at the back too. They also have them in the grills of the car, and some cars have two or three built into the back bumper bar of their car in the high end BMWs. God. Where the sensors are for detecting whether something's going to hit them or not. Insurance. Huge insurance in Russia. Have you ever seen some of those Russian YouTube videos of the disastrous ways they drive there? Well, it's entirely about insurance.
0: All right. Thanks Alex. Thank you for you've freaked us all out appropriately. Just Brad, I don't know whether I'm you can just, see the sta- um I'm just the text saying chat. It
6: as it is. I'm
5: not, yeah, I'm yeah, not, I know. I'm not beating it up, I'm just saying it as it's yeah.
0: But Stefan asked you, Brad, why do you use Four squares? So I'll just leave that question with you.
4: And I I can tell you, because I don't know, some of you will know I'm not very, I'm not all that interested in technology, (laughs) even though it kind of is my job. The only reason why I use Foursquare is because I want to know whether or not the ribs are good at this restaurant that I eat at.
5: Yeah.
4: Yeah, that that sort of thing. I couldn't imagine, I don't even do it on Foursquare, I couldn't imagine actually logging into every place I was ever at. just do it in some places because then see who's around or, or whatever. And I certainly could never imagine um, wearing a camera all day, taking pictures. But then again, we're talking about someone, although you know, I've spent 15 years in e-learning or 20 or however long it's been, I didn't connect the internet to make passes about four and a half years ago. So I, I accept that my I may not be quite normal. Well, Brad,
5: it's, guess what? It's going, in five, you know, in, in five years' time, reporting. Brad.
1: Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead.
5: Oh, no, it's it just a very quick quick comment, um, Van, Sorry to interrupt. Um, Brad, I'm going to take you up in five years' time and see whether or not you find value in something like an app that's in an in, interface in a, um, interfaceless device. That allows you to simply to press a button. Do you trust this space or don't you trust this space? Instead of logging into the space and saying, I'm here, just simply, do you trust it or not? And see how many other ways there is, how, how much simpler it is than Foursquare. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, I was just I'm not sure. Like... I'm
5: not sure I trust some of your logins to courthouses and. Um, uh, police stations of-
4: and <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't know, because it's amazing the things. I, I actually some of the things I do in there. Right, actually, um, if you look at the main street of Carranborough on Foursquare, it's actually moved closer and closer to my house. So, because if I log it enough times, Foursquare believes it actually has moved. So uh, yeah, there are problems with it. There's no doubt about that.
0: Vance, your turn. Sorry,
4: what?
6: Vance. I was
1: just, uh, you know, the, the, the we, we take for granted all the surveillance aspects, you know, like I'm thinking of, you know, how transactions at the bank, they're just monitored, and, and of course, it's been mentioned in the chat already that there's, that places, you, you can see signs around Melbourne where places are under constant video surveillance. So we, we take that for granted, you know, that you're being monitored, and it's not, the, I'm thinking about the monitoring aspects, but just that there's cameras going on all the time. So this is surveillance. This is where you have one on yourself that's just going all the time. It's not like you you might want to sit back and watch your day, but you might just want to record that somewhere and then if something comes up later, you can go back and the information is there. So I don't see that as being that freaky. You know, it's something that that could just be possible that we could be tracking it and storing it somewhere and forgetting about it. Um, some of us might think, well, we don't want they really want that data. Someone else could get a hold of it, you know, so but on the other hand, I mean obviously there are people, Steve Mann being one of them, uh, and and the other person that Alex has just mentioned, um, you know, they're recording things and just keeping it up there. So they're there's kind of on the, on the edge of the uh the cusp, you know, of of what is going to be a lot more normal and certainly people in places where there are political insurrections where they might get arrested uh, walking around the streets and are doing that constant um, recording what I'm doing because you never know when a police officer is going to come up and at least I'm streaming you know so I mean I I would imagine in Egypt they're doing that and uh, you know any place where there's political insurrection if they can they'll just broadcast all the time so why not um I think it's just gonna become it's a little bit unusual to us now, but it's gonna become more normal.
4: Uh, yeah. I, I should say that no doubt I can see the application of it and I can see why it had applications for it. I, I guess probably my initial comments were, you know, I just I try to understand the mindset of someone who for twenty years has been wearing something that's you know, that's that's the bit that I think That's beyond testing. That's something else. I'm not sure what that is, but yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. Given that we might, as I said, not might we will have Alex on to talk about this in more depth.
5: So have I, Brad. Move on.
0: Are we happy to wind this up and move on? We've been. Yeah, I mean, I'm enjoying this, sure. but are we... Yeah, that's good. Shall we try and get through all the items in the agenda, do you think? Okay. Yes, please. And James has asked a, asked a question in the text chat, so maybe Alex, you can, or anyone else who has thoughts about this can answer James', James question there about marketing and what's the attraction. So the next item on the agenda was the, the topic of the month, topic of the season, the MOOC. Now I don't know who added that to the agenda but whoever did might like to launch the discussion. What is it about MOOCs?
1: Well, uh, Well,
5: Stephanie, you you put an article out, didn't you, from the Grattan Institute recently? Maybe you could talk to that a little.
6: Well, it wasn't... I I didn't put it on the... uh, on the wiki, um... but uh, certainly uh, MOOCs have, uh, well, they say 2012 was the year of MOOCs, I think that was the higher ed. Certainly they are the buzz for senior management in, uh, in VET at the moment, and uh, our organisation has uh, got a couple of MOOCs uh, in, uh, um, in partnership with OUA. So it's interesting how something that, for some of us, has been there for so long, you know, stretching back to 2005, 2006, has suddenly just gained traction. So it's amazing, really. I I think what's gained traction now is quite different to how we all come to understand uh, MOOCs in that sense of, open, open, collaboratively created content, open distribution, um, and a connectivist pedagogy, uh, as opposed to this sort of higher ed spin-offs, the uh, Courseras and, uh, you know, Udacity's and uh, uh, edX's that are sort of Silicon Valley startups in a way. Uh, and I think they are slightly different breed uh... certainly don't necessarily uh... Um, evoke they don't necessarily have a passion for openness in the sense of what a lot of us would see MOOCs being about in the sense that they may actually be free access to fully copyrighted material that can't be reused in any other context so um... but this idea of e-learning at scale is something that's uh, that's that's really uh, entered into um, the wider consciousness. Hmm. I don't know what other people think, but,
4: yeah. Oh, I think you're right, Steph, in the sense that, you know, they are all the rage, and I do think that, you know, I mean, we're the same as you, you know, we've got a couple of moves through, you know, OUA and others. I think... Um, I think what, what we're now seeing in is these MOOCs is, is, is a marketing notion rather than a collaborative approach to developing content. Um, so I agree they're different. I mean, I to many of you. I just don't really get the MOOC thing at all because for me, education is about that dialectic stuff, the stuff that we're doing right now but that that's what it's about. I I don't understand how, especially in these new MOOCs, you know, that's going to work because, yeah, I can see people making their content available so that anyone can look at it and that's a marketing tool, but I don't see any educational provider having facilitators freely available to be facilitated continually whenever people want to join and be part of this these movements are no income of any kind from anyone. And so I think, you know, they end up just purely being a marketing tool. However, there are a lot of much smarter people than I do who have had a different view on
6: that. Yeah, look, I, I agree Henry. with you, I, I think certainly they are being used as a form of advertorial. Uh, having said that, though, there's a lot of debate about the disruptive nature of... of I suppose, uh, MOOCs in the sense of online learning at scale, free, in a way that is separate from the current institutions. So there's, in a sense, they're a disruptive uh, force in that they uh, could potentially be a new business model in the sense that the money derived from them is not based on fees, it's not based on... The traditional model that the dominant institutions use. It could be, for instance, advertising uh, because you've got such a large scale at work. You could be monetising or making money from the data that you gather as a result of all those people coming together uh, in that sort of educational context. Uh, and there could be you know, new models of... Revenue more akin to Facebook uh, social networking than, say, traditional educational institutions, unless <laughs> it's a really disruptive form of government that's a threat to the dominant players. Yeah. Um, that's you've Blackwell put in a the
0: reference there to the LT MOOC that's about to start. Do you have any connection with that?
1: Well, LT MOOC is starting April fifteenth. Five days. Uh, already, it's being it's generating quite a lot of introductory emails and finding people teaching all kinds of languages. Uh, I'm not sure how many people are involved at the moment. That just happens to be the MOOC du jour. Um, <laughs> and then James has said that he's enrolled in a Coursera course on stats which is a different kind. I heard the, the words ex and I don't know if I heard c being bandied about. I think that, um, yeah, mook du jour, you heard it first here. <laughs> <laughs> um ex-mook is kind of a different thing. I think the, um, uh, the, the, um, the LT mook seems to be, the language teaching mook seems to be put on by people who are actually um, I think they're sort of a startup. They have a business side to them, but they are actually doing this one not in a Coursera platform or something like this. I think they're, I'm not really sure what they're doing. I'm going to find out because I'll, I've got some time and I'll follow it. But um, the MOOCs are kind of interesting if they're really connectivist MOOCs because they put you in touch with so many other people. Uh, you know, they're worth following. But then on the other hand, there's the one that. Uh, that uh, James just mentioned the uh, a uh, course of stats, and if you, uh, forty-five thousand people enrolled is a bit much for a connectivist MOOC, I suppose. But <laughs> it, but you can probably learn something from it. So there are two different yeah. Yeah. approaches to MOOC. Uh, they're 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 really branched off. They might as well be two different beasts. The connectivist MOOC is one where you are learning from other people in the mix. And the whole idea is, that, you know, if you you watch Dave Cormier's simple little videos, you know, they're, you basically you uh, uh, interact with other people and cluster with other people and focus on what you're trying to do. So you you find other people to to interact with you, and I think those are really interesting. And then if but if you want to take a course and you want to learn something specific. Like James is doing that, XMOOC, the Coursera could be a really interesting another approach, but it's a different animal from the ones that that started in 2008 with uh, Stephen Downs and um, uh, George Siemens and Dave Pomier also in there. So, interesting things to watch, you know. And also another statistic that I I got was that um, there's a Recent survey, uh, I think, of the United States last year, actually, uh, said that two uh, percent of universities polled—I presume they were U.S. ones—have uh, MOOCs, and ten percent, ten percent of universities polled were considering them. And we've just heard a little bit of uh, anecdotal Australian data here, but that's, that's quite a lot of people who are going into MOOCs. Uh, I think they're going to be quite—they're going to be expanding. Um, so um, and and uh, by the way, I, I raised this at uh, an e learning and action conference in Sharjah just earlier this month, and it and I asked in that question with that data if there was anybody in the UAE who was making any MOOCs, United Arab Emirates, where I work, and actually it turns out there's one person who was at the conference who has the MOOCs, but. It's basically a concept that really I think is going to take off. And um, you know, it's, it's kind of like wearable technology. We're all going to be doing wearable technology, uh, walking around on subways, doing our MOOCs. You know, it's probably going to be that kind of thing. So it's going to be a very <laughs>
0: different future. Well, I've just been. To the Theta conference, which is, uh, look, I can't tell you what Theta stands for, but it was a conference down in Hobart, and MOOCs well, were very a much point. part of the agenda down there because it was a high read conference. And a couple of things that I didn't know it was that there are different rules according to, or there are different rules in the states versus what's possible here, and it's a lot more open with dealing with open content can be reused and look I can't give you the specifics but in America it's actually possible to run a MOOC where you've got open content which can be remixed, repurposed, rehashed, re-whatever and it's not breaking copyright laws but here in Australia that same process is just not allowed. You so it's open in the sense that the contents free and anyone can see it but no one in a MOOC in Australia as they currently exist is able to do anything with their content they can't copy it they can't podcast it they can't put it anywhere else or send it to anyone else without breaking contract so the the question of O in um, MOOC is a very big question mark and depends on the laws of the land apparently where the server is based
6: Well, it would depend yep. on, the, on the license of the content as well. I mean, if you're if you're giving people free access to copyrighted material, then um, you know, it's, you, no one can use it. They can access it, but they can't use it.
0: Yeah, and Mel, easy to get around. Well, at the moment, yes, probably. It illegally and what came out of this session is that there are a number of universities here in Australia are right now redesigning existing courses which they intend to offer as moocs with content which is truly open and not subject to, subject to any copyright district, um, restrictions so it's, it's it's time consuming but they're going through and reordering or reworking the courses to make them truly open, and it's interesting isn't it to think about open, it's not just about open on the receiving end, it's open in the sense of what can I do it, with it now that I've got it. Yep. Well, I'm just if there's no other burning comments, questions on the MOOC, we could move on to the next item, what do we reckon?
5: I'm just um, popping some stuff into the chat there from a paper that was written by well, Lee Blackall. I'm suggest that um, silence I wanna...
0: means Alex. Did you?
5: Can you hear me there?
0: Oh, okay. Oh. We're moving on.
5: Hello, hello, hello.
0: Well, Alex has a huge, big, long written comment.
5: I can, I can hear you, Alex. What are you? Go ahead. Oh. Ah.
0: Um,
5: Vance can hear me. Uh, For the others that can, I've just. Um, Dropped into there an incredibly interesting paper that Lee Blackwell, Brian Haggerty, Stephen Bounds, Brett Siemens have contributed towards, which will be released soon, uh, and it's called Open Online Courses and Massively and o- Untold Stories, here, right? and um, I think that it will totally reposition the history, the historical narrative that <laughs> are being rewritten in Wikipedia, and uh, there's a reason for it from a consortium level.
1: Uh, what, Alex? Two comments. One, uh, yeah. can you huh? put the link to Lee's paper?
5: It's, not available.
6: Ah, it's okay. not
5: available. It's not available. I'm risking, Thanks. I'm risking, risking life and death and limbs torn from limbs here. But I think that you need to Did see some you. of the paper. Okay. That I've, he has. I've actually
1: pasted those into a notepad, so we'll go and review them later. Yeah. But, and then another thing I got to tell you is that Michael can't hear you. <laughs> he wasn't aware. No, that I realized that.
5: Yeah. I realized that. Okay. So uh, Michael is. Uh, so while he, while he's scrambling for his mic, I'm gonna take some airspace. I think yes. Luke's, um a fantastic provider that the Open can truly be. Open. Okay. Well. Uh, yes. We we do have limited
1: time here. I suppose suppose, or some of us do. Uh, but bef- uh, Alex, uh, sorry, um, uh, Michael over here wants to hear Allison say something yeah. about the Maker Faire. So we could bring her into the conversation here.
2: I don't even know if I'm in real time with you guys. You are. Am I we in can... real time? Yep. I'm, okay. My, uh, I just wanted to say, um, if you can't beat them, join them. So cheers. That's my words tonight. Oh, the Make Fair in Adelaide. Um, I don't know. Um, I, 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 I quite enjoy it. I know my children, my daughter, and her friend really enjoyed it. There was, um, it certainly was uh, geek heaven on earth. So there were a lot of geeks there. Um, there were groups I'd never ever heard of. I thought that um, you know there was obviously a lot of different stuff going on in the city and or, or in and around the city that I didn't know was happening. Um, I think it won't be too long to three the three D printing machines will certainly um, be quite popular. I think most of the schools might have them now. Um, most of the high schools anyway. So three D printers seem to be all the the um, the thing there but I wonder in terms of its real practicality so there were a lot of really stupid things being printed like frogs and and so forth but I don't necessarily know in terms of their true value as opposed to their niche kind of fun value. and then after that, I, I I didn't I couldn't really think of anything that was really like wow or outstanding other than the 3D printers. But, but Michael may have seen something that was a bit more um, memorable. Oh, oh no, movie. I tell you a lie. Sorry, sorry. Can I just add one thing? There was one guy. I, th- I think he was from Erba um Agricultural College. He had made a pump that attached to a kid's swing so that the, when the kid's swung... Uh, um, was swinging on the swing it pumped water or fluids and as a person that's probably spent hours and hours pushing a child on a swing I thought that that was a really great idea in terms of pumping. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, sorry Stephen.
6: No that's alright Alison I, I just wondered whether um, and there are any drones or quadcopters or anything like that there because that's that's has a strong maker element at the moment going on people are making their own drones and they're putting them up there and causing considerable concerns for, uh, for the population at um, large. So, yeah. there,
2: there was, um, I think there was one helicopter type thing that took photos, took aerial photos. Um, but I, I don't even know what a drone looks like. Do, do, I, do I fail, Alex? Sorry.
5: <laughs> looks like an airplane. No, there's a, I've put a link in there. You can join the uh, Google Plus community, which you're part of. I'm pretty certain, Alison, you're a member there. Um, I don't know what you're doing with your feeds. Maybe you have turned them off. But there's a drones makers group there, DIY, including the key Chris Anderson's DIY. He went from Crikey.com, I think, as a writer or some other very high-paid position to go and form his own DIY drones environment. So, yeah. I think you remember there. Definitely think you're a transfer good
0: member. Well, I think I'm back. Can you just let me know if you can hear me? It's Michael here. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yep. Um, just something else about the make effect. I think that helicopter thing that you were talking about, Alison, was a drone. And my understanding is drones can look like anything. It's not what they look like, it's the function they have. I mean they were describing the cars that did street talk, those cars that drove around the streets of the US without drivers, they're drones. I mean they look like cars but they're actually drones. But what was and remarkable about yeah the Maker Faire is that it, it wasn't so much what was on offer, it was the fact that you had hundreds of people displaying skills it, that involved making things and some of them were obvious, like the more traditional crafts. But there was a section there where people could learn to solder if they wanted. There were a group of guys out on the pavement that basically had a temporary forge. So they've got, you know hot coals and they're heating up iron and bending iron in full public view and then putting it into water and reshaping iron and lots of stuff like that and you could see both children and adults just looking at this stuff absolutely agog. I mean there was just a total fascination with the art of making stuff. And I, I might be overplaying the point a bit. But I just think it was it's really timely that in this kind of time of the universe, most of us live in a universe which is very disconnected from the process of making things. We really have no idea where they come from. And this kind of make affair, and they're really big in America, which Alison might have mentioned, but I, I was just really proud that Australia finally got one off the ground. So it was a first effort in Adelaide, and it was a really... Vibrant event, and I, I just loved the looks on the faces, and even the kids' faces. Just like I said, agog, couldn't believe what they were looking at. So, yeah, really enjoyed it.
6: Yeah, well, I think it's fantastic, uh, Michael. I, you know, like I, uh, I, I guess I grew up in the nineteen seventies as a teenager, and. Um, you couldn't go out and buy a computer at that time. When I was in high school, you had to make one. And I certainly uh, was very much involved in that whole, you know, DIY kit. I mean, I was a ham ham radio uh, operator. I still am. I still got my licence. And that very much was um, very um, maker-orientated. And I think, you know, it's been tragic just to see the whole sort of consumerist uh, aspect um, really contain that. I mean, mm. I think it's good that that movement is a is a real return. I think to that that passion for having control and also being able to innovate, being able to create something and innovate. And I think that that has largely happened and had has moved had moved into the software arena you know, the, the young kids who became a sort of software uh, uh, genius. And so it's good to see with the Maker Fair it's a return to that sort of more practical um, aspect of, of uh, innovation. So I think it's great.
0: Yeah, and some of it's really quite pointless, as Alison was suggesting, but there was this thing, remember, remember Alison, that kind of thing that looked like a rainwater tank on its side? And I watched this thing for ages, I mean what it was, was it was a rainwater tank on its side but it ha- it was filled with steam and there was a giant sledgehammer and children were lining up to get this sledgehammer, run several metres and whack one end of the of the tank and it would spit out kind of globs of steam at the other end or even if you were really clever, a ring of smoke. And kids instinctively started to get into how car how far can it go? Does it smell? If I hit it really hard, how far does it go? And then asking the guys, what's in there? How does that work? And you could just see their brains ticking over. It was just fun. It was ridiculous, nonsensical, fun. But the questions that kids started asking as a result of this silly little device, which is innovative really excellent. Okay, enough, you know, rah-rah for the Maker Fair, Pagan fanfare indeed, Alex. Should we just, I've just got a couple of things to say about the theatre conference. I mentioned it earlier, the MOOC stuff, should I just mention one other thing down there, or anything else about the Maker Fair, Alison? Am I being heard? Oh yeah. Okay, good. All right. The the um, one last thing about the um, the theta conference. Higher ed down on the edge of the world. That was what it was called. The edge of the world. Higher ed at the edge of the world or something. Anyway, it replaces the edge of cause conference of the last several years that's what it used to be called but apparently Australia no longer has the right to use the term EDUCAUSE in a conference and look I could you know mention a whole lot of the things which aren't that, that interesting but highlight for me was um, Alec Kuros, who was down there gave the keynote yesterday afternoon and it was a, just a really fun presentation about networks and connected learning and Alex didn't say anything terribly profound in terms of, you know, academic explanations or using big words or theories. He just showed a lot of stuff that his students do and lots of funny videos which they discover and kind of a little bit like that Mike Wish anthropological introduction to YouTube. So Alex clearly uses a whole lot of like funny videos from YouTube which are quite well made to make points with his class which is about connected learning and the the really kind of unspoken but really loud message to the audience was you'd better get your video literacy skills together because this is the way that people are communicating and if you want to make a big noise or a big impact with the stuff that well with media you really need to be able to do this with video literacy and all of a sudden I'm thinking about what you're talking about earlier Alex with Mito you know these little cameras that take photos of everything so combine that with video literacy skills and anyway just thinking yeah. off the top of my head we've got uh, let's say we've got five more minutes what do we want to do with this five minutes? Any burning issues or things that people want to say?
6: Yeah, I, I just wanted to say, I just wanted to l- lament the end of Google Reader. I, I fear it's yeah. an era. I know that's a topic yep. in itself, but I, I just wanted to mark it.
5: I wanted to mark the Google Plays in place. So you can now upload 20,000 songs for free. Give Google everything.
6: Well, they take with one hand and give with another, it would seem.
5: (laughs) No. Don't be facetious, Stefan. It's all in the better interests of humanity. (laughs) Uh. Yeah, well, you know, I'd just like to mark the fact that we're seeing the rapid rise of consortium-led or consortia uh, on, a, on a universal and global scale uh, impinging and affecting not just affecting our business as educators in many online contexts both socially I think and also um... in many other contexts
0: Steph, do you see the photo there from uh, the photo? The question from Alison?
6: Oh, why do you think they are uh, Google Reader was scrapped? Yeah, I think that's a complex question and a lot of people have asked that. Uh look, I think it represents a paradigm shift. perhaps from a Google's point of view, it's, the, it's a sort of plusification uh of their estate. Uh, and you know, Google Reader represents the old paradigm, it's a subscription paradigm as opposed to the the liking and following paradigm. Uh, A similar thing has happened with uh, YouTube where they're they're trying to move it into Google Plus, move away from a subscription based model that was the paradigm dominant in YouTube, moving more towards the sort of like, um, follow type of model and it's quite different. It's a different paradigm um, because it involves Anyway, that's a whole topic in itself. But I, I, th- I think it's that, thats what's at work.
3: Yeah. Um. Hi, it's me again. I'm sorry I dropped out and I'm back. Um, did you see that Jane Hart's trying to get people to besiege Google to keep, to keep Google Reader? Well,
0: I didn't see that Jane was, but there have been, been a number seen. of petitions around uh, trying to do the same thing.
5: The moment I see. Jane Hart standing next to Sergey Brin I know that she'll have won but until then (laughs) and she has to be wearing Google Glass if she's not wearing Google Glass Jane Hart's not going to win
3: yeah they they sort of in the article I read about it it was saying that they were um, saying that there were too many other readers around now that did the same thing and they wanted to put their efforts into other areas but yeah, I'm, I'm disappointed. I thought it was a good, a good um, you know, a good service, a good, a good center. I liked it.
5: Well, you, yeah. can't, you can't create folders and you can't make money from folders. What you need to do is bury memory and um, not allow people anything more than a couple of days back of memory. If you, mm-hmm. if you allow people to have memory, um, they're not going to make money.
3: Yes, it was this wonderful free thing, wasn't it, once upon a time?
0: Yep. There were lots of free things. And I, I might not have to say that I, you know, I, I used Reader, but every time I went there it would say, look, you've got 300 items waiting for you. So the reality was I wasn't <laughs> using it to actually get stuff. I was getting it through Twitter, Facebook, you know, Flickr, wherever. It came through other channels for me. So Google Reader won't be, I kind of, will lament the loss of it more in kind of principle rather than practice
6: yeah. well, what does it mean for blogging
5: well, blogging's dead Jeez. who blogs anymore uh, there are <laughs> some there are <laughs>
3: alternatives you don't you to
5: the reader. uh... there are some
1: uh... in the web heads list they're talking about that and they're i, I can't really think off the top of my head but uh... You know there are there are alternatives to it, but um, it it's kind of you know like so many things where the community is the community. You know, I I use Google Reader. I think
3: the if I noticed
1: a blog that I wanted to follow, I would put it in Google Reader, and then at least it would be there. You know, and I and I could go and check out what was there. Now I'm going to have to move all that stuff elsewhere. Um, It's a bit of a pain. also, another thing I used to use it for was if I had my students blogging, then I would add them all to Google Reader. That's an ephemeral thing. I could probably find another feed reader to do the same thing. But, um, you know, it's, it's not a totally unuseful uh, thing, you know, that um, it, it seems to me, I, I don't really understand as big as Google is why it couldn't keep this one service which is actually, must be widely used, you know, why it couldn't keep it afloat. It's a little bit concerning to me because with uh, so many other, um, um, yes. you know, services going by the wayside, uh, I suppose Postrus being the, the main <laughs> one that's, that must have been very widely used and Twitter has sort oh. of dropped that one. And um, and then I read in Stephen Downs today. He says that Twitter is dead for his own reasons, but he thinks it's past its prime. So no telling what's going to happen with Twitter. Vine. But Vine. Vine- is- there, there's an example. Go ahead, comment, please, on you know put the conglomerates taking over these uh, really free, good free services, and then uh, themselves going by the wayside.
5: Go ahead, comment.
1: I mean,
3: you signed just- up to Vine yet? D- Stephen's down says Twitter is dead but does, I'm not sure, was, has, he, was, has he tweeted a lot? I haven't, I think I was following him for a while and I don't remember seeing a huge number of tweets. <laughs> it
6: reminds me of something I used to see in the toilets in uh, university. Uh, uh, Nietzsche, God is dead. Uh, God, Nietzsche is dead. And perhaps, uh, you know, we could say the same <laughs> thing, you know. Uh, I'm not saying that
1: <laughs> we should listen to Stephen in his pronouncement, but it's just that you know the there are so many other services that have died, and Twitter is a, a key. Twitter bought Posturus, which it then killed, and uh, something should come along. Twitter is not that big a deal, really, you know. But I mean, Google Reader I think was a lot more useful than Twitter. Surely well,
3: Google. I was going to say surely Google Reader sorry Allison no, no, I'll just say that you know I was just thinking Alex, um, Alex was saying well one of the reasons was they couldn't capture data from your Google reader but the fact that it, Google reader was inside your Google you know all your other Google stuff, um, and it would have shown a lot about people's preferences and interests I can't see why they that wouldn't have been valuable to them
5: Well, it's more what Stefan's saying is that It's uh, it's curation versus aggregation. They don't want people to spend their time sorting things into folders and tagging things and everything. They want people just to digest stuff quickly so they can buy it on impulse because it looks good. So that's the idea of killing off folderization and history and and, uh, ability to segregate and uh, to compartmentalize a stream. They don't want you to compartmentalize streams. They want you to build a nice glossy profile, and they want you to pump good stuff in there that they can digest and sell on to other people. That's what Google Plus is all about, and Facebook is a complete bastardization of everything that you can possibly combine all together.
3: So, a bit bit like buying a glossy magazine, you know, full of celebrity news rather than a... That's it.
5: You've got it in one, Melanie. You pick the thing up, it looks good on the cover, Looks good on the second page, you get to about page 712, and there's one paragraph of content.
0: I was just looking across the room at another computer, and James Buckingham's photograph or video stream is showing on Vance's computer. James, we haven't heard from you. We really need to wrap this up, but James, do you want to say hi, or is there anything you'd like to add on any of these topics before we close? James has just left the group chat. Maybe he's already gone.
1: He got up that his computer. <laughs> he's <laughs> dropped out of the stream at the moment.
0: All right, I think we he's need to wrap it up.
1: In Abu Dhabi, and uh, it was nice of him to come. Yeah, it's yeah, great. It
5: was. From, um, it's really great, Vince. So I must, before we do wrap up, I really must acknowledge that I really appreciate the connection that you have um, admirably. Um, handled in bringing communities together uh, that have stood the test of time despite all the technologies and have adapted and grown with them because perhaps that some of that is about communication and the focus of connecting in the true sense of connecting so thank you
1: well, it's a mutual appreciation world because I uh, certainly love what uh, just I, I mentioned in a personal communication that I quoted you in your your cyborg piece, and that was uh, that was really cool. I think w- what you said there was that we were entering a world of um, uh, oof, it's flitting through my mind. Basically, the, uh, institutions are going to become just accrediting bodies. And uh, are yeah, very that's much pretty so cool. That was a really nice statement that you made. So uh, anyway, perhaps think that free you're, thi- you're
5: perhaps that free thing frees things up a little bit too. Perhaps that's a good thing.
1: Yeah, but but obviously you're uh, attuned to uh, what's going on. You know, with uh, wearable technologies. I mean, you've been interviewing a lot of people and gathering a lot of data, and the interesting what I'm thinking of. You know, in in my own interview with you, I probably knew uh probably only uh half of what i know now because of the, all these awarenesses are starting to uh, po- possibly with a lot of the people you've interviewed they're becoming more and more aware daily so i, I you know interesting um, uh, that you're you're sort of taking a time capsule of
5: what people are it thinking it is it's a time stamp it's a time stamp has been a very important one and by august this year we're going to see a very different humanity emerge Mm-hmm. I'm not predicting anything, I just know what happened, I've been yeah.
0: speaking with hundreds of people, it's amazing to... Okay, wait to for speak. August, hey James, yeah. we were out of the room and we were just saying how nice it was that you came and that you are a colleague of Vance's in Abu Dhabi, so did you want to chip in and say hi so at least we can hear you before we close off James, are you happy to sit there silently?
6: Well, I can open my mouth so you get some idea of what I sound like. Um, <laughs> Excellent. Does that help, any? Okay. It's kind of neat there to be able, able well. to do this, knowing that uh, I don't get too terribly involved with the with Google+, but uh, this is certainly showing me the, the promise and potential of it. What's so special about August? What's the significance of August? <laughs> uh, tell you, Alex, be tell you, quick. Tell you very simple. It's, it's, simple, it's, it's like a Dune's
5: Day report or something no no you're interpreting all of this wrong everybody everybody does this as soon as you point a camera at somebody they get frightened of something no 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 I wasn't um, saying
6: it. just the, the fact that I don't know anything about August and then the word the term August comes up do we have a specific date in mind well, <laughs> the earth is well you know
5: if you look at a supplier and they say okay guys we're going to release 180,000 of these uh, in Google Glass. April, April and then they say, oh, our sensor suppliers haven't quite got the manufacturing rights. We'll be a couple of months off, so you make it you know, April, May, June. All right, June, good. That's when our conference is happening. Can I have one, because I'm the publicity chair, to try and sell one of these things and see how it looks and whether I like it or don't like it? And then they say, yes, possibly. So you put it in another month ahead. I reckon it'll be August.
6: Okay, well, I'm glad I asked the question then. Thanks, gents. So i got to get ready for dinner. Yeah. Thanks, sure. James.
0: Yeah. Hey, Steph, you want to wrap this up?
6: Yeah, sure. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you, Michael, for your great facilitation of the event. And uh, <laughs> I think you took us all on the track. So we'll wrap up the Talking VTE number 37. And What's, what's going Michael, on,
5: Stefan? I, I don't understand. How come there's no carafe? Why are they all sitting on that cabinet behind your head?
0: <laughs> this I thought safer. Thought
5: be quaffing something nice.
0: <laughs> thanks, Steph. Thanks, everybody. I'm um, gonna kind of, I don't know, go and have a drink. I think. Hey, Vance. <laughs> <laughs> no you kebab. Are.
5: Michael kebab. Uh, okay. Well,
6: Steph is
1: everybody. going to put this into uh the can and post it somewhere. And webheads in action dot org/live slash live is where you can see the uh, recorded stream immediately, and we'll archive it in various places later on. LearningTogether.net is another place where things will start emerging once posturous craters. Awesome. So anyway, awesome. thanks for thanks everybody. I really appreciate your coming and joining me here in Melbourne. Thanks Michael for the bridge,
5: fans Yeah. Thanks for the bridge. Cheers. Good day.
6: Keep Bye.